All right, so today I'm going to be sharing about Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to, I'm just going to start here because the Apostle Paul kind of gives an introduction. And so this isn't going to be on the screens. But um, here in verse 1 of Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul says, Hey, this is a letter from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. He said, May our... May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, Paul just kind of jumps in. He kind of says, hey, this is Paul. I'm writing to this the group of believers and he jumps straight in. But here in verse three, he makes such a powerful statement that I didn't put in my notes, but I'm like, I can't really talk about Ephesians one without Ephesians one, three, which is that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Why? Because of who we are in Christ. You know, that the truth is, is that you lack nothing right now to be everything that God created you to be. You lack nothing. Why? Because you've been given Every spiritual blessing. You're like, well, what are spiritual blessings and what does that mean? That means that you have a purpose. That means that you have joy. It means that you have peace. It means that you have what faith that will rise up on the inside of you to overcome anything that's in front of you. That God will stir up on the inside of you that there's no diagnosis that what that the word of God, the spirit of God cannot overcome. Those are spiritual blessings. Did you know that you've been promised healing? Did you know that you've been promised a sound mind? These are promises from God. And it says that God has given us all spiritual blessings. Every one of them. Everything that Jesus has is now available to all of us without exception. Every spiritual blessing belongs to you right now. And so, and that doesn't mean that life's always perfect, but what it does mean that even in the midst of the chaos, God is working and that God is moving and that God has a plan and that God wants to what work for us so that he can produce in us what he desires. But we have to understand is that, and I love what it says here. It talks about that there's the spiritual blessings You know, one of the things and one of the the promises of God is that he said that I would never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's in uh, John chapter 16. He talks about that. And he says that really what it means is that, look, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you without aid. I'm not going to leave you without support is the way the Amplified Bible says it. I'm never going to leave you deficient to be who I've called you to be. Never, ever Never will he leave us. He's given us the power to what? To live, the power to be who he's called us to be. And this is important. And this is how Paul starts off the letter. Not much introduction. He just kind of jumps into the deep end and just goes right into it. And, and But one of the things that I want to point out here, because there's a word that we don't really use much anymore. And some translations and or different versions of the Bible say it different ways. The New Living Translation in verse 1 says that I'm writing to God's holy people who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Faithful followers. That's the way the New Living Translation says. Other translations uses this word, which is saints. I'm writing to the saints. 
And it's important to understand what that word and and who's he talking to in this letter. If we're going to look at the book of Ephesians and we're going to be reading through it, well, who's he talking to? Saints are Christians of the church. But you know what can happen, and especially in the, uh, the area of the nation in which we live, you may not realize it, but we actually have a terminology for the area in which we live, which is the Bible Belt. How many of you ever heard that term? I heard somebody one time, uh, he was an evangelist that had come here from another state and he made the statement. He said, the hardest thing about getting somebody to, to be saved in Louisiana is this, is helping them realize that they're not saved. They're a cultural Christian. In other words, my grandma went to church, my mama went to church and I go to church, but there's no evidence of change in my life. And for the first 17 years of my life, I was a cultural Christian. Because it's just what we did. The doors are open. We go to church. My mom plays the keyboard. And if I act a fool, she gives me the finger. Not the one you're thinking of. This one. (laughs) Which meant while my mom was up here doing this, sitting down, this meant come sit with me. Embarrassing, yes. No doubt. But it was just cultural. It was just what we did. There was no meaning. There was no purpose to it. And here, and so, but if we're not careful, we can become just cultural Christians. Even though at one time we may have had God moving powerfully in our life, we can slip or slide into where we're just going through the motions, where there's no actual life or meaning or passion even behind our worship, or even just reading a book of the Bibles. It's just like, oh gosh, I have to read my Bible because I want to go to heaven. Versus like the creator of the universe has written me a letter and he intends this letter to produce life in me. And he, he, he wrote me instructions so that what, so that I could walk in his wisdom and not in my own so that now I would what be transformed. And the word saints actually means this. It means that translated, it means that all believers are holy. Now, how many of you feel perfect today? Anybody? Because that word holy means acceptable before God, perfect. But let me give you some good news today that you may not feel perfect, but in the eyes of God, because of Christ, you are holy. You're perfect. The Bible says that God is not mad. He's not angry. He's not upset. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because of who we are now in Christ. That word holy also means to be set apart or to be sanctified for God's purpose. See, the good news for us is that God takes sinners and he makes them saints. The Bible talks about this over and over and over again. It says that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Before you ever made your first move to God, God moved all in. He said, I'm I'm all the way there. I've already made the way. I've already made provision for you. And and so when we're talking about this, now, let me give you this definition because I thought this was just a cool way of saying it as I was studying and doing some uh, just research, I guess you could say, is that one person defines saint says, and and now think about a stained glass window. Now, I know we, well, there is some stained glass behind that cross somewhere. You may not know that, but it's there somewhere. And, uh, but it said this, it says, it's one that light shines through. 
How many of you realize that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be the light of the world? A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It says, don't cover up your light. Shine before all men. Why? Because people can't see God, but they can see us. People can't see Jesus, but they can see us. And they need to see that we are what? Set apart. We are different. Not weird. Please don't be weird. There's plenty of weird in the world already. Please don't be weird. Be godly. But be set apart. Romans um, 12 talks about this. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to be, what, changing and becoming more and more and more like Christ. Well, that takes the scripture of God. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to produce that change in us. And so this letter, this letter is, is, is really written to people who are faithful, committed, loyal, not, not cultural Christians, but to those who take their relationship with God with some degree of seriousness. Like this isn't just ritual. There's real change and life happening on the inside of me. And I've got good news for you. You may have a never experienced the real gospel of Christ where it changes you. Or maybe it's been a while. It can happen today. It can start right now. Why? Because the word of God is the Hebrews 412 says that the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It has ability in and of itself to produce change and the life of God on the inside of us. This is what the scriptures talk about. Now, one of the interesting things that I found is that that uh, this word saints, you know, that in the Bible, there's never the word saint singular. It's always plural. Now, there's lots of opinion as to why that is, but here's my opinion. I'll give it to you. This isn't gospel, but this is just my opinion. But I think that it's, it's plausible anyways, is that God never intended for us to be singular. He never intended for us to be by ourselves. He always looks at his, at his children, not as individuals, but as a whole is that we are the saints of God. We have been set apart. We've been called and separated by God. Why? Because he wants, he wants us to be what? One body. The Bible talks about the bride of Christ, the church, which we'll look at throughout this series. He's not coming back for many brides. He's coming back for one. And so many times, and we can even hear this, and depending on how much you're engrossed in Christian culture right now, there is a, 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 a school of thought or a thinking that, hey, you don't have to be a part of a church. You don't have to be in relationship with other believers. It's just me and Jesus, and that's enough. Okay, well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus had the 12 disciples with him. Now they were in varying levels of relationship. And yes, he would withdraw and go with God. But the majority of his time was spent with his own disciples. I mean, you you go and and read throughout the Pauline epistles, which is Galatians, Ephesians. I mean, Corinthians. I mean, you get all of these books of the Bible that Paul wrote. And he's always giving shout outs. Hey, Timothy says, hello. Hello. I'm not going to attempt to say some of these other names, but he's always saying, 
you know, so-and-so is with me. I'm sending so-and-so. Somebody, why? Because the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, didn't do life alone. We were created to be in a family and to be connected one to another. And so, you know, and the truth is, and this is just the reality, is that you will only be as strong in your faith, in your relationship with God, as the connection of all of your closest relationships. Like, we need friends, not necessarily on our best days, we need friends on our worst days. We need somebody to come alongside of us and say, hey, I know it stinks right now, and I know you're frustrated right now, and I know that you have questions right now. But I'm here with you and you're going to make it through this. Let's just keep walking. Like, get up. Sometimes you need that friend to say, get up. I don't know if you have a friend like that. I have a few of them. I have friends who will say, stop it. And then I have friends who will say, get up. Those are important friends to have. You probably need a friend that would also say, shut up. (laughs) Those are good friends to have. I'm telling you. I mean, I've said it many times and you guys have, many of you have heard me say this. I love the scripture where it says in, in Proverbs that faithful are the wounds of a friend. This isn't scripture, but I like it. And it says that a real friend will stab you in the front. Just right here. Stop it. We need those people in our life. And so we're not created to do life separate. So if we're going to understand the book of Ephesians and we're really going to understand kind of the, one of the themes about it, it is this idea of unity and oneness and wholeness is that God is, you know, and this is very different. The book of Ephesians is different than all the other epistles because everything else was written to specific churches. Many times responding, because that's what you have to understand is that the Bible, at least the, the New Testament, much of it, not the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I wouldn't say, um, the book of Acts, or even the book of Romans, but the epistles, which is everything from Romans till Revelation, really, they were all mostly written in response to questions that were asked. They were a response to a letter. So somebody wrote Paul a letter, and we get to read his response. But Ephesians is different in that it's not written just to a specific church or in response to a specific question. It's actually written to the church at large. Many of the early um, commentators and the people that would write scripture didn't even like when he says, this is the apostle Paul and I'm writing to the, the believers in Ephesus. They didn't even include in Ephesus. They added that later just because it was the most well-known church in the area of Asia Minor. Where Paul had, which, you know, like, by the way, Timothy, the book of Timothy was the pastor of this particular church. But Paul was writing it to an area, to a region. And so really, this is kind of an open-ended letter, not just to one church, but it was meant to be read and then passed along and passed along and passed along. And so we have to understand these things, but we come back. And so why? Because The apostle Paul, I believe the heart of God was to get people to understand is that, hey, this is not about divisiveness. This is about unity and really that I see you as one family before me. Why? Because, and there was a lot of debate, and I'm about to show you a scripture on this. Because when Jesus came, whether you know it or not, you have a Jewish savior who walked with Jewish people. Which is why we should pray for the nation of Israel. Because, I mean, okay, let me just step into it real quick. Then I'm going to step back out of it. You have a Jewish shaver 
that we read about Jewish men that was written by a Jewish God who had a Jewish nation. When you got saved, your allegiance actually changed. The Bible says that those who were away from God were called Gentiles. And those who were the people of God were Jews. And there was all these rules and regulations and all these things that came for the Jewish people that the Bible says that Jesus satisfied. And so then there was this debate after Jesus had been resurrected. Like, hey, if you want to be a Gentile and follow Jesus, you've got to come and do all of these things. And, it was, and so there was a lot of discussion, if you will. You can actually read this in Scripture. Paul in, in Romans actually has to correct a group of Christians because they're trying to tell um, these, this group of people what all they had to do to be saved. And Paul said, hey, that's not true. As a matter of fact, you can read it in Scripture where when the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, the apostles, the twelve, were like, what's going on? This is just supposed to be for us. How can they receive the Holy Spirit? Because, it, because Jesus came not just for salvation. Jesus came to what? Redeem all of mankind. Regardless of nationality, race, creed, socioeconomic status, where you may be, what you have, what you don't have. Jesus is the great leveler. He says, hey, this is the baseline and it's Jesus and everybody needs redemption of sin. Everybody doesn't matter background. And so we have to be careful, even in the climate that we're in, to think like a Christian, not as an American. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of division trying to be had right now. And if we're not careful, we will allow that to seep into our church. We will allow that to seep into us. God is not about division. God is about bringing people together. Let me show you this. This is actually in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says that God made peace between Jews and Gentiles. All right, I'm just going to say this. Just so for context, the Jews and Gentiles despised one another. They didn't like each other. They didn't associate with each other. They'd go out of their way to stay away from each other. And so this was a revolutionary thought to them. We don't think much about it because we don't talk in these terms. But it says that God made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. See, we need to understand as believers is that people are not our enemy. We have an enemy, but it's not people. God has put that all to death. He, he's put it down. It's gone. He says, in him, everything else, it's level. Jesus paid the same price for everybody. There's not one level of salvation for some and another level for others and then another one or a different degree for somebody else. No, it was once and for all. So as I already shared with you is that this book was not written just to one particular group of people. This was written for the church at large. So it's a letter to the church. It's a letter about the church. It's a letter for the church. It's really like a how-to manual 
for us and how we live and some basic understanding of things that we need to understand to live the way that God wants us to live in our life. And so we're not just taking somebody else's email and saying, well, I'm going to see what I can pull out of this. No, this is a letter from God to you. And it's full of all kinds of, of wisdom and treasures throughout it. And I'm just going to pick a couple out of uh, Ephesians 1 this morning. And so, you know, one of the, there are several themes of the book of Ephesians, one of them being unity of the body of Christ. One of, another one is that we now have a new identity. The Bible says that I don't associate with who I used to be. I identify by who Christ has made me and is making me to be. The Bible says my old life, it's gone. And so now I have this new identity And that we've been, and as we've talked about there in, a, in verse one, or in verse three, I'm sorry, it talks about that we now have access to all the spiritual blessings, everything that we need. See, we have access to, to God's incredible life altering grace. Grace simply means that I don't get what I deserve. But grace says, no, I get everything that I don't deserve. Why? Because of Christ. And here in verse 6 it talks about this. So he says as a response that hey we have all of these spiritual blessings. We see God doing all these things. He says that this is the response. He says that we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. It says that he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness or showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. That's another spiritual blessing. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask. If you need an answer, ask. And guess what? God will give you the insight, the understanding that you need. And it's way more than just a natural understanding. Way more than that. See, I love the tone of these scriptures because it may be very different than the picture of God that you know of or maybe that somebody else has told you about or maybe the way that you've perceived or understood God to be. See, this version here, and I highlighted a few words. It's still up there. Look at this. The glorious grace has been poured out. Like this is an over-the-top moment that God who is so rich in kindness and grace that he's, again, showered, he's poured out his kindness. Oh, and by the way, you get all the wisdom and understanding you need. Like God has left nothing undone for us. He's given us everything that we need. He's not upset, he's not disappointed. No, he settled all of that in Jesus. That's why it says here, or in the previous verse, that he is, per no, it's there, it's just not highlighted. It says, purchased our freedom and he's forgiven our sin. The price that you should have paid, your bill has been paid. You ever been to a restaurant and somebody else paid for your meal, but you don't know who it was? And you're looking around like, who bought my meal? Well, I've got good news. Jesus has paid your bill. And when you go to heaven and stand before the Father, we may think, I've got a bill to pay. And God's going to say, I don't have a bill. Somebody took care of it. Somebody else took care of your bill for you. Well, that would be Jesus. 
See, this here, I believe that it exhibits and shows how much God loves us and he absolutely wants the best for us. See, these verses almost have the degree of like, okay, enough already. Like, have you ever had somebody give you something and it was just too much? Or maybe they're thanking you and you're like, okay, thank you. Okay, it's enough. No more. Like, okay, thank you. Okay, good. Thank you. Yes. Glad we could do something. Like, praise God. Like, stop giving me stuff. I remember one time. This is kind of a funny story. I won't give you names, but it's a funny story. So I was in a situation one time at Christmas time where I went to somebody's house that I did not know. And they decided that they wanted to buy us Christmas presents. And it wasn't one. It was multiples. And there came a point where I was just like, okay, this is really awkward now because I didn't bring you anything. <laughs> right? And that's kind of the tone of the scripture. Is God just saying, hey, I'm going to pour out my goodness. I'm going to pour out my grace. I'm going to lavish you. And really, if you think about it, it's actually, and it goes back to this idea, is that think of a husband on his wedding day. He's all smile and laugh and giggling. Why? Because he's in love with his bride. And a good groom doesn't smash cake in the bride's face. At least that's what my mama told me. And she said, if I did, she was going to throw me down and beat me in front of everybody. So I was an obedient son. I did not do that to my wife. But that's really the context of these scriptures. Is that Christ is the husband who is coming for his bride. And he's saying, I have all of these things that I want to give you because I love you. Because I'm passionate about you. Now here in, a, in Ephesians, we, we, there's a, a powerful prayer that gets prayed. And it's hard to, to speak about Ephesians chapter 1. There's actually two what is considered the Ephesians prayers. There's one in chapter 1. There's one in chapter 3. And I would encourage you that these are great things to even pray over yourself. Like on the regular. Whether you want to do it every day, every now and then. But this is a great passage of scripture. That will help you in your walk with the Lord. Part of it, it reminds you of that, hey, all of these things have been made available to you. But I'm going to start reading in verse 15 of, of Ephesians 1. And it says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord and your love for God's people everywhere. Here's two things, two traits that, that Paul is talking about. And he says, I hear of your strong faith, but also about your love for other people. That's why I love that you guys grabbed hold of Bibles for Iran for people that you would never meet this side of heaven. But you say, hey, we have a love for God's people everywhere. And that's part of who we are. It's part of the DNA of being a follower of Christ is that we live out generosity. We live out being a blessing to others. Why? Because it just comes out of the nature and the heart of God. He says, so since I first heard of, of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for God's people, he says, I have not stopped thinking, thanking God for you. He says, I pray for you constantly. And this is where this prayer starts. He says, asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. But there's a purpose God's not giving you wisdom to be a know-it-all. God's not giving you wisdom just so that you have all the answers. He's giving us wisdom and um, insight so that we might grow. 
He gives us wisdom so that we can develop and grow and understand who we are. It says, in your knowledge of God. Well, when you find out who God is, you also find out who you are in Christ. This is why it's important. And he says that I, so he continues, he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those that he has called. Confident hope. What does hope mean? It just means a confident expectation something good's coming. I'm not looking at tomorrow with dread. I'm looking at tomorrow with a heart fully open saying, God, you have something good. We were singing that earlier. I know that you are up to something good. That's hope. It's a confident expectation that God has something good ahead for me. And here he says that that he wants our hearts to be, what, illuminated with the light of God's word. Why? Because as we read scripture, it stirs up our faith and our hope and our trust in scriptures. Why? Because we've been called and we have, in the last part of this particular verse, says that we are his holy people who are, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now, I don't remember off the top of my head, but in my Bible or in my brain, the Bible that I remember that I pray, is that let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened that I would know the hope of my calling. And I pray that. So I, I talked to this as an Ephesians prayer. You can take this and apply it to your life. Father God, I ask you right now, I thank you that I have spiritual wisdom and insight and understanding that I lack nothing for this situation that I'm facing. And I thank you that your word will illuminate the answer in my heart. And I lack nothing to do it. And it's amazing to me how many times, typically not in that moment, but I'll be going about my day. I may be driving the car, I may be standing at the fridge, I may be doing something, and all of a sudden there's an answer that comes. And it's the exact thing that I need for a situation that's in front of me, and I'm like, that's what I need to do. Well, it didn't come from me, it came from the Holy Spirit responding to the prayer that I prayed. So here's what to do when you don't know what to do. Don't freak out. Pray. Pray. Ask God for wisdom. I mean, God is so practical that we, I, I, many times I think that we um, really, uh, let me say it this way, that we suffer in things that we shouldn't. And this is what I mean when I say practical. And I've shared this before, but like there was, you know, you get a bill that you can't pay and it's got a due date. You're like, well, I don't have the money for that. What am I going to do? One time I was in that situation. I didn't know what I was going to do. I prayed and I said, Lord, give me wisdom and understanding. They delivered a new phone book. And literally, the bag said, need cash? Yes, I do. What didn't show up on my doorstep was a bag of cash. What did show up, though, was an opportunity to make the money that I needed to pay the bill that I needed. And it took the stress away. But I had prayed and said, God, I thank you that I have favor and that opportunity is coming to me. I don't know how, and I don't know where, and I don't know when, but it came in a little yellow bag on my front doorstep. Like, oh, well, that's just chance. You were getting a new phone book anyways. How many of you pay attention to the bags? And how many of you read what's on the bag? You're like, oh, it's a new phone book. You get the phone book, which we don't get phone books anymore, but you ever get one now, and you're like, why do they even send these things anymore? I mean, that's what I do. I'm just like, yeah, throw in the trash, you know. But... 
But it caught my attention. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that things have just caught my attention. It's like, huh. I mean, God is practical. Very practical. We make him like mystical and we make it like this weird stuff and these strange things. I mean, I've had God tell me don't buy things. I've also had God tell me to buy things. And I'm like, why? And I knew later on why. That's what I say when, when Dara asked me why I bought something. I'm like, well, the Lord told me to buy this tool. <laughs> it's real simple, Dara. I don't know why I needed it yet, but apparently the Lord does. And at some point in the future, he'll make this mystery reveal itself. And I'll know why I bought it. That happened not too long ago. I didn't use that excuse, but I had bought this tool. And uh, so we're working on a house and I was needing to cut something. I was like, wait a second, I bought a tool for this. I look, never, still in the package. Had it for like two years. She's not in here today. She's back there in kids. So I can talk about this. And, uh, you know, and so I was like, see, you asked me why I bought it. Here we go. It was here when I needed it. The, the Lord knew that I had need of it. And here it is. No, God is practical. Like I'll give you another one. Go talk to that person. Why? I can't tell you because I'm, look, I'm an introvert by nature. I know you see me up here and you're like, you're not introvert at all. Trust me. But there are times that the Lord would just, I see somebody in a crowd and they stand out. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is to go introduce myself to somebody. Hi, how are you? I'm not a creeper, but nice to meet you. Like, I, you know, like I, I, but I've been amazed through the years at how many times that God has led me to do that. And I've made some great friends. Or maybe I was able to just help them in a moment and I was the answer to their prayer. You're like, well, how do you do that? I mean, I know it's awkward. Look, I know, I get it, okay? I'm not the smooth, slick salesman type that's just come and talk to me after service. You'll find out I'm a little awkward, okay? And, uh, but there's been times where the Lord has just led me to speak things into people's life. And then, so you're like, well, I introduced myself. What do I say? Let the Holy Spirit help you. If you run out of stuff, say, hey, is there anything I can pray with you about? And you'd be amazed that they would say, yeah, this is something that's going on right now, and I don't know what to do. Well, let me pray. We're going to believe God. Like, all right, well, have a great day. See you later. Maybe never, <laughs> you know. But there's been times where I've seen it where God has done some amazing things and, and incredible moments with people. Whereas I start praying, I've seen people break down. They just start crying just because they're under pressure. I'm, and I don't mean just ladies. I mean men that are just overwhelmed. Then I go about my day. What was just a blip on my radar was huge to them. Why? Because God will give us wisdom and understanding to help people. He goes on in this prayer and he says, I will also pray, or he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. You're not short of ability. You have all the ability when you tap into it. When you make it the priority to tap into God's word and to who he is and what he desires to do. 
It says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. It says, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. It says, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him to be head over all things for the benefit of the church. I mean, you ever think about why we say in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer? Because in that name is all authority in heaven and on earth. It's not just like the salutation. It's not the sign off. It's not like the, hey, I'm going to get God's attention by saying this. There's authority when you put faith in the name of Jesus. And here it says that all things have been put under the authority of Christ. Now, not everything have we seen in this earth play out yet. Because some things have already that we can see. But as believers, we can use the name of Jesus with authority to actually change our environments and to change our experiences. Why? Because it says that Jesus has been put into a place of authority. For what? For the benefit of the church. Who's the church? It's not these walls. The Bible says that we are now the temple of the most high God. And that this is a building until we get here. And when we get here, it becomes the church. Because this is just a building. But it says that, that, that Christ now has authority for, the, for your benefit. Christ's authority is your authority. But you have to use your authority. Why? Remember, you've been given all spiritual blessings. One of those is the authority of the name of Jesus. It's more than the name. It's the person that the name represents. And every time that we declare the name of Jesus, it's a reminder to Satan about how he thought he had won when he put Jesus in the grave. And it's a reminder that the same Jesus that was put in that grave is the same Jesus that was resurrected in power and in glory. And so when I begin to declare the name of Jesus with faith in that name, there's authority in that name that the devil is reminded. He kicked my tail once again and he will do it again. It's a reminder, not just to the devil, but to all principalities and powers, that Jesus is supreme. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus alone is Lord. It's for our benefit. This is what the scriptures tell us. So it, there's two things here in this prayer that I just want to speak to real quick. There's two things that says that we would have, that our hearts would be flooded with light, number one. Well, what does that mean? Psalms 119, 105 says this, is that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, like a few minutes ago, I went to go grab a bottle of water. Well, I had to go, there's a little hallway that goes around the back of the stage. There's no lights on. There's lots of things back there. It's not the most orderly, don't go back there. 
It's more orderly than it used to be, but the bottle of water is over here. So I had to get my phone out, turn on my little light, right? Because it's kind of important because I don't want to hurt myself. Right? And it says that God's word is a lamp to my feet. In other words, I can see right here. God will give me an answer for what's right in front of me. But it also says that it'll be a light to my path. God will tell me about things that are even ahead that aren't even here yet. God will give me the answer to a problem before that problem ever appears. That way, when it appears, I'm like, oh, this is what that was about. Well, here's my answer. I don't even have to be stressed about it. His word is a light to my feet or a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. Let me give you another thing is that, that I believe even in darkness is that, that light brings clarity. You ever notice that bugs run when you turn the lights on? I believe there's a, spirit, a spiritual principle there. Is that the enemy can win in any area of our life where we don't walk in the light of Scripture. He gets an advantage. Any area that we don't have the light of God's Word, the enemy can take advantage of us. And he does take advantage of us. That's why we need to know the word of God. That's why we're encouraging you to read through these scriptures together as we're doing this as a church. That word wisdom there. This isn't like worldly wisdom. But it actually means revealed understanding. It's revelation. It's a light bulb moment. You remember in school like you're doing math or whatever, science or whatever it was. And you finally got it. And it's like, oh, that's what you've been talking about all this time. That was a revelation moment. Sometimes we can be reading scripture and we'll have a light bulb moment. And all of a sudden, it's more than just the words on the page. The Holy Spirit gives us the understanding. It's like a, a heavenly download. You can download it quick, but it takes some time to read through it. You go get an ebook, you can download it in a second, but how many of you know you can't read that book in a second? That's wisdom. God will speak something in a moment, and there's all this understanding that comes with it. That's spiritual wisdom and understanding. But this is what I need you to know is that that wisdom is not weird, is that it's very practical, practical, and it's very workable. God won't speak to you about something that you can't do. Now, you may think you can't do it, but if God speaks to you about it, that means you can. You absolutely can. Let me read you one last passage of Scripture today as we're. Wrapping this up on chapter 1 today. It's Psalms 119, 103 to 105. It says, this is out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read it out of another translation too as well. It says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Jewish rabbis would actually take honey to children. And they would give them a little... I'll call it a spoonful. They would give them an amount of honey and put it in their mouth so they could taste the sweetness and they would quote this verse. That's how they taught children about this verse. It says, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. He said, your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. It says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to for my path is the scripture that I just quoted to you. 
Well, how do we get the light? What's the context of what he's talking about here? I've highlighted the three, the three words. Two of them are the same. Your words, your commandments, and your word. How do I get light? How do I get an understanding of how do I see moving forward? I need God's word. Because his word brings light. The Bible actually says that in the light of God that there is no darkness. Darkness is the absence of God. Light is the presence of God. If you get to a place where everything seems dark and confusing, God is not there. So you need to go get some light from Scripture to illuminate that situation and circumstance. I have seen God do this in my life many times where I get overwhelmed with something and then he speaks a scripture, brings a scripture to my mind. I mean, one of the the things about the Holy Spirit is that the Bible says that he will bring all things to our remembrance. Now, here's the, the catcher with that. Remembrance. You got to make some deposits to get a withdrawal. That's the way the bank works, right? If you don't go put no money in the bank and you go, I need some money, they're going to ask you, did you put any in? Well, no, I didn't. Well, I can't give you no money. When we put God's word in, and here's just a great principle. If you'll put God's word in your heart when you don't need it, it's there when you do. Look, God is gracious and he will help us. But if we need understanding to see where we're going to walk, as it talks about there in Ephesians, that Ephesians prayer, we need God's word. Statistically, less and less people are reading the Bible. Statistically speaking. I mean, we're doing online devotions every day. They range from about two to five scriptures a day. I would encourage you to get on Facebook. Watch the little video. Go read. The, well, I'll tell you that in a minute. Let me read the scripture and I'll give you some instructions. Out of the Passion Translation, I, I love how it talks about this here at the end. It says, how sweet are your living promises to me. I like that living promises. They're not old and dead. They're new and they're living. They're available right now to us. He says, they're sweeter uh, than honey is your revelation light. It says, for your truth is the source of my understanding, not the falsehoods of those who don't know you, which I despise. He says, truth shining light guides me. In the, in the choices and the, in my choices and decisions. It says the revelation of your word makes my path clear. You know, there's another scripture that talks about this. And it says that man plans his ways, but God will establish his steps. Another translation says that God will order them. He will, he'll say, take this step. Now, I know we would love for God to show us the next 15 steps. Usually what I find is that God's like, take a step. And I'm like, Where? <laughs> and he's like, take a step. And I'm like, I don't know where to go. And about here, it's like, oh, it's supposed to go right there. And then he says, take a step. And I'm like, where? Because I want to know. And he's like, take a step. And I'm like, I don't want to take a step. I, I don't want to look stupid. What if I miss God? Let me just help you real quick. God is so good that even if you miss him and fall, he's going to pick you up. Because he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not going to come be like, you stupid idiot. Why did you do that? He's going to say, I love that you tried. Let's get up and try again. But sometimes we got to be out here in the unknown and we don't like that. 
And we're like, God, why do I have to step? It's called obedience. It's called trust. God says, hey, I will establish your steps. Let me lead you. So I want to encourage you. So I'm wrapping up today. I want to encourage you to take this next month as we continue. We're going to be on this. I think it's the next five weeks. It's six weeks in total. Well, I know it is because there's six chapters in Ephesians. <laughs> Don't have to really guess on that one. But I want to encourage you to take this next five weeks. Like today, a video was posted at noon or will be posted at noon. Every day. This week, we're going to be going through Ephesians 2. And then on Sunday, I'll be preaching about Ephesians chapter 2. But if you'll make this as part of just your um, daily schedule. I believe that you'll begin to see the benefits of consuming God's word on a regular basis. So take this next month as we're reading through the book of Ephesians together. Watch the Devo on.